Welcome to the Voices in Recovery podcast. Voices in Recovery is produced by Freedom's Path Recovery Society, a registered Canadian charity. If you enjoy the podcast, please consider a donation at www.freedomspathrecoverysociety.ca. All donations go directly to assisting Freedom's Path in providing services free of charge and helps us keep the podcast going. We are grateful for any and all donations. This podcast discusses difficult topics such as childhood abuse, drug and alcohol use, sexuality, sexualized trauma, and more. If you are under the age of 18, please speak with your legal guardian prior to listening. The opinions expressed during the podcast are those of the individual and not those of Voices in Recovery or Freedom's Path Recovery Society. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoy the podcast. This podcast is being recorded on the traditional land of the Blackfoot Confederacy. This consists of the Kainai, Pekani, Siksika, and the Blackfeet in the U.S. We acknowledge the Stony Nakoda, which consists of the Bearspaw, Morley, and Chinookie. We acknowledge the Satuna, who are Dene, and the Métis, Inuit, status and non-status from all of Turtle Island, and those who are visiting. We are all treaty people. Darren, thanks for coming. You're welcome. Yeah, so <clears throat> my story is pretty much like many others. I mean, well, I mean, uh, you know, it did, not everyone ends up in jail and prison and shit like mm-hmm. that, but, uh, you know, I think everybody that struggles with addiction uh, eventually has many, many things. It doesn't have to be jail. You know, mm-hmm. they could lose their family, all kinds of stuff. But anyway, so I'm I'm from Newfoundland. I uh, I came here when I was 19, and I went to Lloyd Minster, and I went to work in the oil field. At that point, I never did any hard drugs. Hmm. Okay. Growing up, I never I I smoked pot a couple times, but it wasn't really my thing. Hmm. And uh, but I drank alcohol. And, uh, you know, I partied a bit and stuff like that. So when I, when I got to Lloyd Minster, I, um, I went to work, um, my first job was a a service rig job and, uh, I had a class one license too. So I eventually got a job, uh, with a fracking company and and ended up getting into coil tubing and stuff. So I did that for a while, but um, I partied lots on my days off. You know, I was young, I was making good money, and but I, I'd always had this rule. I was like, "Fuck that, I'm not getting." Because I, you know, I used to always see lots of coke around. Mm-hmm. I was like, "Yeah, no, I'm not getting into that shit," and I was pretty adamant about that for a long time. And I remember one night. I don't know, I was on like three nights I've been drinking in a row. We were on days off, and I was with my uh, field soup. And that night I was like, oh, man, I had enough. I'm going home. And he's, and he's like, oh, fuck, it's early. Stay out. And I was like, no, I'm good. And uh, he's like, just come to the washroom with me. I was like, why? He's like, Oh, I got something to pick you up. I was like, I don't, I don't want no weed or nothing like that. I don't like that shit. And he's like, no, no, just come in the washroom. And he put out a couple lines of coke. Mm. I was like, fuck. I was like, I was like, you do that? And he's like, yeah. And I was like, oh man, I've never done that before. 
And uh, I think I probably would have been about 21, maybe. Mm -hmm. And I did, uh, so I took the line of coke. And I remember the first time I did it, I absolutely loved it. And I was like, geez, I was like, I didn't shut up all night. And, mm -hmm. you know, I, I enjoyed it. And, and then, of course, you know, when you're that young, you, you're so... Uh, um, ignorant or what's the word I'm trying to use? Naive? Mm -hmm. Maybe a little bit of both. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you don't, you, you don't really know like what you're getting yourself into mm -hmm. and how this is going to, sure. <laughs> you know, and how this is going to destroy your life. Right. Mm -hmm. So I remember after that, you know, I was always like, fuck, I love this. And every time I'd go out, I'd be you know, trying to get coke, and then me and all my buddies got into it, mm. you know, and and then I had that rule, I'm like, I'm not doing crack, mm. you know, Yeah. I'm not going to do crack, and then of course, uh, one night I was with a good friend of mine, I don't know, it was like two or three in the morning, and he was cooking it up, and he's like, fuck, just try it this way, man, it's crazy, just try it, and anyway, I remember I, uh, I fucking end up doing it, smoking crack, and, and I was like, wow, this is a whole new level, right? Mm. Are you cool if he takes a picture of us? Sure. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Good. Yeah. Um, so, yes, then, of course, you know, like when you get it, when you go to the crack level, uh, things spiral out of control fast. Mm -hmm. And um, I was struggling with going on binges. And then stopping and saying, I'll never do this again. Mm -hmm. yeah. Over and over and over. And I had, I had eventually, like I was dating, um, I was dating this girl, Kim. She was a twin in Lloydminster. And uh, very, very beautiful person. Great personality. Hated drugs. Mm. You know, she worked at the bank. Very, very nice person. And... Uh, I really, you know, like I kind of, like, uh, you know, like I fell in love with her. Like I really, really, really cared about her. Mm. And I was hiding this, you know. And then over time, like, you know, she would be questioning me on certain things and she knew that I was lying about things. You know, I'd come home, my mm. eyes would be just huge and, mm. you know, I'm acting different, and, yeah. right? So, uh... Then my, my, my addiction, you know, like I ended up, I have, I, at that point I'd never done heroin or opiates. Mm. And I had a friend um, that got prescribed uh, Oxycontin. Mm. And we're at a party one night and he's like, hey, try this. And I was like, what is it? Is it Coke? And he's like, no, because he, he had it lined up. Mm. <laughs> So I tried that and totally fell in love with it. I was like, wow. I was like, this is way better than Coke. Mm. And, I, and that, was, um, that was when I switched. Because all I wanted to do was oxys. Mm. So I was buying this script all, off him all the time. And it's kind of ridiculous because I was so calm on that drug that I could hide it, mm. you know, for a while anyway. Mm -hmm. I was very calm and confident on it. You know, it was like, 
It was like a just warm blanket of just, you know, flooded endorphins of mm. feeling really relaxed and good about yourself, you know. Mm -hmm. They took every bit of emotional pain away. and uh, Yeah, I told her nothing. Yeah, it was just, you know, I absolutely loved it. I was like, oh, mm -hmm. my God, this is for me. So I remember doing it. I'll be doing it at work all the time. And, and for the first while, I was functioning. You know, I was holding on my job. And if I run out, I wasn't getting sick. Mm -hmm. You know, I wasn't at the point where I was doing it, like, every single day where, would, where I would get physically hooked. Mm -hmm. And uh, I remember seeing this guy one time. I went down to buy some of his pills, and he, and he, he said to me, he's like, I'm going to tell you something. He's like, if you get hooked on these, he's like, you're pretty much fucked. And I just didn't know what he meant. And I was like, fuck, I do them all the time, man. Mm -hmm. I go to work, I'm functioning. You know, just played it off. Then I remember, I, knew, I found out the doctor's name who prescribed them to my buddy. Mm -hmm. And I went in and seen him, and I got on him. So I was getting prescribed twice the doses my buddy was getting. Mm -hmm. you know? And I remember, I totally remember the first day I got the script, I was like, fuck, this is heaven. You know, and I rushed home, broke up some lines, and, you know, and that drug, I think, got me off the crack. Because, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mm -hmm. started a substitute one for another, but I found this is something I really enjoy, you know, yeah. I didn't really care for the crack after that. But um, after a while, I started getting super uh, dope sick. I remember the first time I got dope sick, I was doing it for 30 days straight every single day. Mm -hmm. And then I ran out and I had to go to work. And uh, I remember I was like, oh my God. I was like, this is horrible. And I went to work and I'm like, fuck, I'm never doing this again when I get over it. And in my heart, that's what I thought, right? Mm -hmm. And then when I, when I was at work, my buddy called me, he's like, man, just go back to the doctor and tell him the story and get a fix, man. You need a fix. I was like, he's not going to give me no more now, man. I just ran out of my script early. Mm. And I went back, and sure enough, I told him a bullshit story and got more. Mm. And then that process uh, continued. Um, you know, I... I was just struggling at home. My relationship started to fail, and uh, we had bought a house together. And and then um, I ended up going to detox and kicking it. And I prom I said to her, you know what? If I ever relapse on this again, I was like, we might as well just fucking give it up. I was like, we might as well just stop. I was like, I, don't, I think you deserve someone that you know is, that you can actually have a life with because it's like this shit's so addictive and uh, i think it was around christmas and uh i ended up uh relapsing again we had went to vegas a couple of weeks before that mm -hmm. and i still wasn't over the dope sickness down there and i mm -hmm. bought her tickets to go see celine dion for her birthday one time mm -hmm. and i remember being down there and i was still craving it lots and i didn't have a good trip still a little dope sick and I got back, and there was no time I was on it again. So, uh, yeah, it was like right in the new year. We sold the house, and, uh, you know, we split the money, and she went on her way.
But I, I think for like for a lot of a lot of months after that, she she was hoping that I would straighten out, and she would always come pick me up and see me and this and that, and that went on for months, and uh, you know. I believe at that time I ended up staying in crack houses again, so I was back and forth then using crack again and oxys. And, uh, yeah, I, I, so the money, like, we had split the money we made from the house, I think it was like 75 grand or something like that, and within three, four months I had it all gone. Uh, living in hotel rooms and... I had a, a Trans Am, a black Trans Am. Um, I still owed twenty or twenty thousand dollars on it. And that's all I had left. Mm. So we were, I was driving around, you know, with lots of money, and with crack dealers and getting oxies and living in hotel rooms. And yeah, no time I was broke. Mm. And I remember when I was broke, uh, you know how shitty I felt. I woke up in that hotel and like. Fuck, I just absolutely lost everything, pretty much, you know. All I had left was a stupid car. So <clears throat> that, sh that went right away after, because I was at a crack house, and I remember I was asleep down in the basement, and I woke up with a hose in my mouth, and, and there was these two dealers, and they were uh, giving me hoots, and they were like, hey, fuck, we need to borrow your car. <laughs> you know, so they were getting me high, and, and I was like, well, where do you need to go? And they're like, Edmonton to reload. And I was like, okay. And they're like, we'll give you an eight ball. I was like, give me two eight balls. And they're and the F and I, and then finally they, they did it. And uh, they took my car and I'd never seen it again. Mm. Never ever seen the car again. And I had smoked so much crack that day, I ended up in, uh, in the ICU. I don't know, something happened. I went in... My brother and my cousin ended up finding me and took me to the hospital. I was so fucking like razzed up, my heart was just blown out of my chest, mm -hmm. and I ended up in uh, Lloydminster Hospital in ICU. I remember my ex did come see me in there, and I, for I totally forget what she said to me. You know. So after that, you know, I, I won't go go through every single little detail because it's a long. It's all good, man. It's a yeah. long twenty years, right? Yeah. Um, it's about yeah. It was about twenty years of me struggling. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I had uh, ended up going back to my dad's in Newfoundland for a bit to try to clean up. And um, you know how the big book talks about restless, irritable, and discontent. Mm -hmm. You know, that was me back there, man. Just like oh, hating life mm -hmm. and. Not only that, like, there was so much other stuff that went on between me and my dad, and and my parents got divorced, and it was so nasty and stuff. It just, mm -hmm. you know, my dad wasn't really around a lot growing up. I mean, I went and visited him and stuff like that, but, you know, as a father figure, being there all the time, he wasn't around mm -hmm. much, right? Yeah. And uh, eventually, I left and came back to Alberta. I got a job in Red Deer. And the guy put me up in the hotel room and then sent me to camp. And uh, yeah, I stayed clean for a couple months and I was back smoking crack and doing oxys and shit again. Um, I ended up back in Lloydminster for a bit. 
And I had a, a, a friend, and his girlfriend at the time was really trying to help me. She was, she's, she's a Christian woman and kind of, you know, goes to church and stuff. And she's like, you know, really trying to help me uh, mm. get clean. So she's like, they talked, they said, we know a program that you should go into. Mm-hmm. It's called Teen Challenge. Okay, I remember Teen Challenge. Yeah, yeah it's a year-long Christian program. So I had, uh, I think I was 29 or 28 at the time when I went in there. And I did the full year, and I learned a lot about the Bible. Mm. And, mm-hmm. you know, I uh, remembered, you know, lots of scripture, and um, one of my favorite books was Proverbs. You know, I, I found a lot of wisdom in that. And, um, yeah, so, you know, I learned, I learned a lot about the Bible in there, but um, the thing about it is... Um, yeah, there's counselors and stuff in there, but I don't think it, ne- it goes to the depth you need to go to inside mm-hmm. and really get a good uh, understanding of what the root causes of are, are, of you, are you, right? Mm-hmm. You know, I feel like now, in this last four years, getting into recovery and actually seeing, uh, you know, I, I went to treatment at a fresh start and I see a... I started seeing a trauma therapist, mm-hmm. and I feel like I have a way better understanding now. But anyways, I'll get back to my story. Mm-hmm. After, after I was done Teen Challenge, I went to Fort McMurray. I stayed with a cousin up there, and they're all like religious Christians. And, and I was trying to like walk that walk, and uh, I felt out of place, man. I'd go to church and stuff, but I felt so out of place, like it wasn't... You know, it was hard to, I don't know, man, I, it just, I couldn't feel, even though they accepted me, mm-hmm. I just didn't feel like that was the place for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, now I don't mind it so much, actually, I go to church now, but I think it, mm-hmm. it's just where I was at in life, right? Because they're yeah. good people. And uh, I ended up relapsing up there again. I went back to work. And uh, I was working at uh, Syncrude there, driving a heavy hauler for a while. And I hated the job. And eventually I started relapsing. And um, I ended up on the street in Fort McMurray, doing lots of pills and crack one summer. And I got to the end of myself again, you know, nothing left again. um, so I had some friends from back home, Kent and Velna, and my mom used to work for Kent's mom growing up a lot. And, uh, anyways, he, uh, wanted to fly me down to Teen Challenge Winnipeg. Mm. This is where shit really hits, man. Mm. So I was up there and, uh, you know, I, they flew me to Winnipeg. And I stopped in Calgary. I got off the plane in Calgary. So I was so dope sick. Mm-hmm. And I got them to change my ticket to leave in the next morning because I told them, made up a bunch of lies that I had major back pain and I forgot my meds and all this and I need to go to the doctor and stuff. Mm-hmm. Anyways, I got on, a, I ended up going downtown. I didn't know Calgary at all at the time. 
And somebody was like, yeah, no, go to this place called the Cecil. And, uh, oh, I, yes. Yeah, I think that place is shut down. Yes. Thankfully. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I ended up down there, man. I didn't know anybody, mm -hmm. right? And, uh, you know, all these people were like, hey, what are you looking for? You know, are you looking? And, and they were trying to sell me rock. And I was like, no, I need some down. I was like, I need some heroin or some morphine or some oxy, something, mm -hmm. opiate. And uh, I remember this girl wanted me to trust her with my money. And she said she would be right back. And I was really scared because I'm like, fuck, I know I'm sick. But I'm scared that the little bit of money I had there was going to be gone. Yeah. But uh, she did come back. She came back and um, she hooked me up with a, a couple 200 milligram uh, morphines. So I got that into me. And... Uh, you know, it was good, good again. So I went back to the airport, and I was sleeping. And I remember when I woke up, I had seen a sign there. It said a clinic. And uh, I seen this guy walk in there. This fucking, this is crazy. Anyway, I went up and banged on his door. I'm like, told him this bullshit story. And I was like, you know, I had to get off a plane. I'm in so much back pain. I forgot my medication, mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. He was a doctor. He wasn't open at right, you know, he was open in like 20 minutes or something. And mm -hmm. I told him my plane was leaving soon. So I go in there and he writes me a prescription for um, 10 Oxycontins just to get me through a couple of days until I got my proper script, I told him, right? Mm -hmm. So I get those. Uh, there was a pharmacy there. I just fucking got him to give me to the pharmacy, just made it to the plane. Got on there and I was in the bathroom on the plane doing lines and it seemed like no time I was in Winnipeg, which is well, it's not far anyway. And uh, so the guys were picking me up there at the Teen Challenge there. Mm -hmm. uh, and I had went there and for a couple of days I was participating because I had dope. Mm -hmm. And then I ran out. And fuck, I got like so dope sick again. And like, I don't know if you ever experienced dope sickness, mm -hmm. but it's the most horrible thing you ever, like, I mean, I've done crack and meth and I've done it all, but there's nothing, I, for me personally, there's nothing worse than coming off uh, opiates mm -hmm. when you're physically addicted. You know, I just couldn't move, I was puking, I was just horribly sick, and these guys were like, are you going to participate? And I was just laying in bed and I couldn't get up. They kept on to me, and I was just like, I was like, man, do you guys realize I'm coming off, you know, down or whatever, right? And uh, and the one guy said to me, he's like, well, you know what? I came off a lot of shitload of cocaine, and I was thinking to myself, uh, yeah, you jonesed out for a couple hours and went to sleep. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I was just like, I was just angry. I was like, fuck, you, these guys don't get it. Anyway, uh, I ended up, leaving there and I had no money I didn't know anybody in Winnipeg mm -hmm. and uh, I was going around just asking people you know hey do you know where I can find this and that somebody finally gave me a number to this guy and he gave me uh, his address so I went there and um, he had these 20 milligram Oxycontins, but I didn't have much money. 
in my head, man, I felt like robbing him. Mm. I was so desperate. Yeah. You know? And um, Fuck yeah. after about a half hour of me bugging him, he finally hooked me up with the money I had there. And then I went and, I, I went and got a fix, and then, you know, there I'm stuck again. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, what am I going to do tomorrow? The perpetual cycle. Yeah, and uh, so I got dope sick again. And, you know, I wasn't into crime. I never, never really got into, like, mm -hmm. doing a lot of crime or nothing like that. Sounds like you're pretty busy working lots, too. Yeah, and so I had, um, I was so dope sick, I didn't know what to do, and I was just like, man, I was like, I got to a point, I think I got to a point where I gave up on life, and I was like, you know what, I don't even care anymore. I was like, I don't give a fuck if I die or not, like, I was just, you know. I was like, I don't care. I'm going to fucking get my fix or whatever, right? Mm. So I had uh, went in and uh, done a robbery mm. in a pharmacy. And I, I went in there with a note. And, I was like, and, you know, I told her that, you know, I'm a heroin addict, opiate addict, I need... I was like, I'm sorry. I like kind of note. I was like, I'm really, really sorry for doing this, but you know, I have a gun and I need these oxycontins. Mm -hmm. And um, I didn't have a gun, but I just said I did. Mm -hmm. And she had just handed them right over, and I was shaking so much trying to get the bottle open just to get a couple in me. Mm -hmm. um, she actually opened the bottle for me. Wow. <laughs> I remember, yeah, she opened the bottle. She's like, come here, and I opened up, and I got him in me, and I'm like, I'm so sorry, and I left. And uh, so I had a, I had a fucking quite a bit on me, and I was going around for a couple days, and I was all fucked up for a couple days. I'm like, what the fuck am I gonna do with my life now? Mm. I was like, I'm in all this trouble. They're gonna get me. Mm. And I was in a park, sitting there in a the park one day. You know, I was just out of it sitting there and then two cops walked up to me and they're like excuse me sir I was like yeah they're like well you fit the description of a robbery that took place a couple days ago mm. and it was weird because I stood up to say no and when I did fucking pills were falling out of my pockets everywhere mm. and, and they just arrested me right yeah and I think that was you know like what a feeling, man. Like, oh, I'm going away for a long time. I didn't know what was going to happen to me. Mm -hmm. And then they put me in the, the Winnipeg remand. And I remember that I was up, I was up on this range. Um, and it was just like, I don't know, man. I was, I was so scared. I was like, you know, there was um, some gangsters and stuff up there. Alberta Warriors, like mm. this native gang and stuff like that, or something. Mm. Or not Alberta, Winnipeg Warriors. Or uh, Manitoba Warriors, yeah. And um, they all, I kept coming in my cell and looking and, you know, and this and that. And uh, then they would let us out for out time, and I was very wondering if I was going to get jumped or not. I never did. So eventually they... Um, 
I, I seen a lawyer, a legal aid lawyer, and he's like, he's like, I can't believe this. I was like, what? He's like, you have like no criminal record, and you decide to go rob a pharmacy. I was like, man, I was like, I know it's fucked up. I was like, that's how severe my addiction is. Mm -hmm. You know, I was like, I, you know, I don't know how to stop this. And being in that cell, dope sick, man, and alone, mm -hmm. you know, it's just fucking... That must have been terrifying, man. Oh, man, it was so hard, man. Mm -hmm. You're just there alone, and you're coming off, you know, this strong drug, and, you know, and then everything's going through your mind about your family, what's going to happen, this and that, you know. So I got, uh, eventually they're like, okay, this guy needs help. So they sent me to this place called the Behavioral Health Foundation. Okay. And down there, um, their, their program is a little different. It's like you go in there, um, there's a counselor, you have chores and stuff to do, but it's not 12-step. I don't know. It's kind of, I don't even know, like, what it's kind of all about. But it's just, I was there for six months. And I applied for my EI, and I got EI coming in, and uh, you know, after a while, I was like sick of being there, and so I, I would go downtown on the bus, and uh, I ended up meeting some people, and I started using again. Uh, I met this lady that used to call her mum. She'd always be at the same spot every day, but she'd only spend two hours there. Mm -hmm. And if you weren't there, you weren't there. So she always had lots of pills and shit. So I uh, ended up going on the run and living downtown Winnipeg for a little bit on the run. And I didn't get caught. Um, not yet. <laughs> and, uh, and then uh, I was like, Fuck this place. I was like, drugs are too expensive here. I'm going back to Alberta. Mm. I'm going to Edmonton. Because out in Edmonton, like, the oxys were 20 bucks each for 80s. And mm. I was like, fucking way better deals. <coughs> so I uh, I jumped on a bus. <coughs> I went back to, uh, made it back to Edmonton. And there was, uh, there was um, a warrant out for my arrest, but it was only provincial. But the cops in Edmonton, like, I, I think I got shit for stealing something out of the mall or something. Mm -hmm. And I was like, uh, they, they were telling me, yeah, you're wanted in Manitoba. I was like, yeah, well, this is Alberta. And they're like, oh, we can hold you for seven days anyway. Mm -hmm. And they would keep, every time, like, once they got me in there and I would get out, every fucking time they'd see me. Mm -hmm. They'd be picking me up and putting me back in for seven days. Mm -hmm. And it was so fucking annoying. Yeah, because it was probably a non-returnable warrant, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it was like, you know, they'd pick me up, throw me in. Manitoba wouldn't come get me. Man, they didn't like you, eh? <laughs> <laughs> That's all I'm, I'm seeing that is they just didn't like you. Yeah, yeah I guess. And, uh, and then they would let me back out, right? Yeah. And I was on the streets in Edmonton and fucking doing that for a while. And... I had always wanted to get clean. I just didn't, I don't know. I, didn't have, I tried many times and I couldn't. I'd always fall off. But uh, So this time I was like, if 
fuck this, I'm going to Calgary. And I'll get on a detox down there. I don't, I don't know anybody down there. Mm-hmm. Right? You know how you think, you think you're trying to do the geographical. Mm-hmm. And uh, you think it's going to work for sure. You think it's going to work. Well, oh, I just need to get out of here, you know. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I go to Calgary, and of course, there I am with all my problems still. Mm-hmm. And uh, I went into the Alpha House. I remember I was downstairs on the mat. I'm like, fuck, this sucks. Mm-hmm. I was on the mat all night. You know, everybody's drunk going around. That is not a nice place to be. No, it's fucking horrible. Yeah. And um, thank God it's there, but it's not a nice place to be. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's <coughs> fucking. It's a hard place to be. It just, That's for sure. You know, hard stink, is a good way to describe stinks it. Stinks a lot. <laughs> just, <laughs> and they're like, oh, if you spend one night here, uh, hopefully we can get you up in the detox mm-hmm. in the morning upstairs. Yeah. And they're like, it's way better up there. Yeah. So, anyways, I ended up getting up to the in the detox. My thing was by day three or four, I get so sick I'd fucking leave. Mm-hmm. And. Um, I was in there and I was like fucking trying to get on methadone, trying to get on methadone. And I was supposed to have an appointment with a doctor and didn't didn't pull through or something. I was getting sicker and sicker and then I just said, fuck it. Uh, you know, I, I did another robbery. I left, did another robbery. And after I did that robbery, I was like, man, I'm fucked. Like, what am I doing? This is fucked up. And I turned myself in. I was like, I was like, I'm fucking, don't want to be doing this. You know, like, mm. I am really, really not well. And um, they took me in, put me in, you know, put me in remand again. And uh, I was in Calgary remand for months. And I had to, I got a lawyer here, and I told him, hey, what was going on? I was like, I just want to deal with all this shit. You know, I remember when they put me in the Calgary Remand Center. I could not get to fucking sleep for life me. I was so dope sick mm. for so long. Yeah. Like it was lasting days and days and days. Oh, gross, man. And I remember like, you know, I was putting little ticks on the wall every morning when the guard would walk in and do his checks. And it was 16 days mm. I didn't sleep. I was fucking mentally fucked. Like, I was hallucinating. It was mm-hmm. just crazy, right? And um, I remember this guard said to me once, he's like, fuck, man. He's like, you're still not asleep? I was like, no, man, I am fucking horribly sick. The thing, the thing it is with coming off opiates, it's just so torturous. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. It's just torturous. And that's why people go to the depths they do to get... To, to get their fix and yeah. you know that's why they have methadone and suboxone you know you don't see many other drugs having like substitutes mm-hmm. you know they have these things because it's so fucking hard to get off it changes and, your whole metabolism oh everything fucking brutal yeah. man so the it's the cold gross. turkey you know it's fucking just horrible so eventually you know i got over it in there by a month was up, I was starting to come around. Um, so I was kind of like starting to get, I was starting to get in more better spirits. I was like, finally, I'm over this dope sickness, mm-hmm. you know? And uh, I was in there for a few months. 
and my lawyer got my charges waived in from uh, Manitoba. And I went went to court and dealt with everything. And I remember the judge saying, he's like, this is a fucking sad story. Well, he didn't swear. He's like, this mm -hmm. is a sad, unfortunate story. He's like, you don't even have a criminal record, hardly. Mm -hmm. uh, and he's like, you know. That so, doesn't convince people, man, how hard that shit is. Oh, right? man. How much it just... You know, like, that's the last it. thing I want to do, man, is yeah. go fucking rob Farmsley. Yeah, man. Well, I wasn't that guy. Yeah. You know? You know, I believe it, man. I've met some people who just never would have done some of the stuff they did, man. Yeah. So many people. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I got sentenced to, uh, I think it was three and a half years or something like that, mm -hmm. which wasn't too bad for two robberies, you know, schedule one offense. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I went to, I got sentenced and ended up in Drumheller Penitentiary. So while I was in there, of course, that place is flooded with drugs. And I got into the morphine in there again. Mm -hmm. But it was so far in between, I couldn't get doing enough to actually mm -hmm. make me sick. You know, you get high here and there, and it's so expensive. Mm -hmm. But I did get into it in there. And uh, <coughs> eventually... Um, no, that was the second time I went back. Yeah, so eventually I got sent. I, I think I did um, eight or nine months in the medium. And I was going to school in there and, you know, trying to stay out of trouble. And eventually I applied for minimum and they sent me to minimum. So up in minimum, you're basically on a farm and houses and. It's a lot easier time. You're not locked up. You just got to, you know, do your job every day and, and just kind of stay out of trouble, right? Mm -hmm. And I got paroled out of there to seven steps in Calgary. Mm -hmm. And I went back to work. And life started going pretty good again. And at that point, I was like, fuck that. I'm never doing drugs again. Mm -hmm. You know? And um, after I got after I got full parole, because I was at seven steps for six months or something, and I'm getting full parole. Mm -hmm. I was doing really well, you know, just getting on my feet, good, had a vehicle again, and going to work all the time, and uh, and so I ended up getting full parole, and I got my own place again and stuff. Uh, but I used to always, I, I I'm when I got out of full parole. I used to go out and, like, I really got into back into weightlifting a lot mm -hmm. and doing that lots. And uh, then I would drive downtown, especially in the summer. I'm like, fuck, I want to party. Hmm. And I would go out and, and, and I would drink. And many, many occasions I'd have Coke in front of me and this and that, and I would not budge. Mm -hmm. I'd, be, I'd be drunk, too. Mm -hmm. So I did that for four years. I didn't touch nothing. And I, I, in 2013, I went on a trip to Newfoundland. I remember I was home. It was a Kamal Mir. And uh, my dad had uh, an issue in his late 40s where part of his brain had shrunk. Mm. And he started to go downhill. He started losing all muscle coordination. And, you know, I went from a walker to a wheelchair to bedridden, you know, and... Mm. 
And it was just so sad to watch because he was so young. Like at 50, he was in a care home. Mm. So I remember when I was home in 2013, man, when I, when I had left, I was like, I don't think I'm going to see him alive again. You know, mm. I just had that feeling. And um, I was pretty sad about it. And, and, I, and I got back here, um, back to Calgary. And I was really depressed about it for a while. And it was on a Monday. Uh, at, at the Stampede that year, I'd, I had met this girl. And we kind of, at the time, she had a boyfriend or whatever. And she uh, she didn't want to date or nothing at that time. You know, <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, no, all good. And uh, she ended up adding me on Facebook later on and found me there. And she's like, hey, uh, yeah, we broke up. You know, why don't you come out tonight? Mm -hmm. It was on a Monday. I was like, really, a Monday? She's like, yeah, meet me at Morgan's Pub downtown. And I used to always go to Morgan's Pub, right? And But not on a Monday. So anyway, I went down there, and they had some, like, go-go girl stuff or something going on there. And She's like, well, do some uh, MDMA with me. I was like, fuck. I was like, I haven't done drugs in a long time, you know. I was like, I was a bad addict. And... Uh, so I turned it down, and then by midnight I had more drinks in me, and she kept asking me, let's do this, and then come back to my place. And of course, you know, I'm like, all right. I was like, I wasn't hooked on that. Mm -hmm. You know, talk yourself into it. So I took it, and I didn't like it, man. We were back to her place, and I'm like, fuck, I don't like this buzz at all. And uh, I was like, fuck, I need to come down off this. And then I'm like, I know what will bring me down. It was like some morphine or something, or some heroin or something. So I go downtown. I couldn't find no heroin. Found a red. Went back and injected it. My whole fucking life started changing again. Mm. From that day forward, uh, you know, I started. Uh, I was having issues at work, and you know, eventually I got fired there. I ended up back on the streets again. Um, yeah, it was, I couldn't believe how fast it took me down mm -hmm. after four years, you know. But the thing about it, when I, when I got off the dope for four years, I never done recovery. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, I you never. You were just dry, right? Yeah. yeah, I never done any work. Yeah. And I was drinking. That's right. You know, I never had done, looked at any work. I actually didn't even know what that fuck that was. Yeah, that's fair. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. What is inner work? It like, would not have been of interest maybe at that point. No. Yeah. Like, what does that mean? <laughs> or even, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I remember I was struggling and struggling. And, and uh, you know, my mom was just really upset that I was on it again. And I told her, I was like, <sighs> I was like, I mean, I'll come out your place if you don't mind on detox there. And she's like, oh, you think you can do it? I was like, yeah, I'll do it. And uh, I remember I had taken a bunch of morphine out there with me. It was in Christmas. And I didn't want to be dope sick hmm. during Christmas. But I did. I went through them, like, so fast and ended up running out. And then I started getting sick. And... I was trying so hard, man. I was like 10 days there, 
and uh, and she had she was always checking on me. I didn't leave the room, man. I was in there for ten days, only long enough to go to the washroom, back to the room. I couldn't eat, couldn't do nothing. I remember, it was my birthday, January fourth, and she had made me a cake, and you know, I I couldn't eat it. I couldn't even taste it. Like I was just so dope sick. So she had went back to work and I left her and uh, I was at that point of desperation again and out of control. And um, I, you know what, I find it hard to even like remember a lot about. I was so messed up this time, just not with it. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, I said I'd never ever do a robbery again or go back mm -hmm. to jail. I fucking did it again. Mm -hmm. And this time, I didn't get no drugs. Mm -hmm. Oh, really? No. The fucking guy come out with a big fucking uh, knife he had mm -hmm. put, put in the back of his pharmacy. It was a guy, right? Wow. And there was a woman there, too. Mm -hmm. uh, and I was like, fuck. I kind of just ran out of the store. Mm -hmm. I got charged anyway, right? So here I am, almost like 10 days in. Here I am going back to jail for a third fucking, for a third charge and I didn't get nothing and I'm fucking still sick and now I'm going to the remand. Mm -hmm. It was, when I was in the back of that cop car, I think it was the most hopeless, horrible, fucking depressed feeling I ever had in my fucking life yeah. that I was back here again. Mm -hmm. You know what they say, every time you go back, it gets worse. Yeah. Yeah. Sure seems to, man. And I was like, yeah. Like, I, I remember being in Medicine Hat Reman and waking up there, and I'm like, just broken. You know, they're like, Norman, you got court, and going down there and waiting all day and nowhere to lay down. I'm just dope sick. It was just fucking horrible, man. Oh, man. So... I had uh, got my charges waived to Calgary so this my the lawyer I had before could deal with it again. And sure enough, I, can, I was like, let's just deal with this. And I'll just go do my time and you know try try to straighten out. But I was so hopeless at the time. Mm. I had actually gave up on my life. You know, here I am, I got sentenced back in the drum heller. I think I got four and a half years this time or something. So I get sent back there, and this time I had gotten into the heroin in there, and I had a $10,000 RSP that um, I couldn't get out. I had locked in, and finally the time was up, and I had gotten hold of that bank gum, sent it to my mom, arranged it, and I took that money and blew it in heroin in there, and then I racked up uh, over a $3,000 debt. And the thing about prison is, you know, they'll fuck you up in there if you don't pay, and either that or they'll, or you'll have to check off, they call it. Mm. And then, you know, you're looked down as fucking pussy if you're doing that, right? Mm. And uh, what does that mean? Huh? What does check down mean? 
checked off means oh, like checked off. Sorry. Yeah, check, checked off means you go to the guard and say, hey, I'm going to get killed in here. You got to get me out of here. Mm -hmm. And they put you in protective custody. Oh, okay, I got you. Right? Yeah. So uh, I did not want to do that. And I had a buddy in there from Lloyd Minster. And um, he had, you know, he always got lots of money. You know, he was a dealer and that. And I was like, listen, man, I was like, I'm in a lot of trouble in here. I was like, can you help me out to get out of this? And he, like, I, he said to me, he's like, listen, Darren. He's like, I'm getting out tomorrow. He's like, I'll email the money to your mom. But he's like, no, you can't ask me again, mm -hmm. you know. I was like, no, man. I was like, fuck. I was like, I'll help you out when I get out. Like, I'll pay you back when I get out or whatever. And he had done that for me, man, and saved my ass in there. Mm -hmm. So I got, uh, I ended up getting on methadone and shit in there after just to keep myself out of trouble. And uh, the methadone, I was like, fuck. I was like, I didn't want to be on that. It's like when I was on it, I didn't want to be on it. And then when I was off it, I wanted to be back on it. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just that fucking dance. So I finally... Uh, Bucks with the brain, man. Huh? Bucks with the brain. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I'm like weaning down to about 10 milligrams. And the doctor in there, he's like, well, you're down to 10 milligrams. It's like time to take you off. It's like, no, I don't want to go off right now. He's like, well, he's like, you're down to 10 milligrams. I was like, well, put me back up. He's like, no. He fucking took me off, mm. and I was fucking sick for fucking months. That methadone mm -hmm. coming off that, man, is fucking horrible. It's no joke, man. It's almost worse than heroin because uh, the half-life is so much longer, mm -hmm. stays in your system longer. For two or three months, man, I was just like, fucked. I couldn't, like, no energy, just, mm -hmm. you know, after the first 30 days of being horribly sick, you still got no energy for months. Mm-hmm. And finally, I, I, I got over that, and uh, I ended up getting parole. I got out. Where was it I got paroled by? Oh, I got paroled fresh start mm -hmm. first time. Right on. Uh, that's how I got to come to know about fresh start, you know. I got mm -hmm. paroled there, and, and when I was there, um, I got out, and I'm like, fuck, man. I was like, I'm scared I'm going to use. I was like, I, sh I probably should get on Suboxone at mm -hmm. least. You know? Mm -hmm. Suboxone was just kind of new coming around. And uh, I was like, rather than go use and get sent back. But fresh start at that point was uh, total absence. Yeah, zero right? tolerance, I think. Right? So I went down and got on it and they didn't know. Mm -hmm. And I would leave every morning, take a quick bus down Edmonton Trail, come back, start group. Mm -hmm. And uh, they never did ask me where I was going or nothing. I'd just leave and I don't know if they thought I was going to get cigarettes or something or whatever, but leave, come back. And uh, But in in group, my counselor, Big Andy, he'd always say, are you okay there? Because I'd be falling, nodding off lots. Because mm -hmm. that shit just makes you high too, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, and I would just shake it off. No, I'm good for a long time. And I figured be that this Suboxone, 
I figured that the their drug test, they never had that on there. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah, probably didn't. And no, they did. Oh, did they? Yeah, it was come like December. Mm -hmm. And my counselor was like, yeah, I'm going to give you a drug test. And I didn't think what they tested for that on there, so I thought mm -hmm. it was fine. Sure enough, he's like, hey, you tested positive for this. I was like, oh, yeah, I was like, I'm prescribed that. He's like, you're prescribed it? I'm like, yeah. And they didn't know what to do, so they had sent me back to the remand center, and my parole officer come talk to me there, and she's like, well, because you're prescribed it, um, they want to give you a chance and see how you would do on it. Because, you know, there's lots of people dying from fentanyl and mm -hmm. this and that, so they wanted to see how this would work out. So I was their first person they ever let in there on Suboxone. Right on. Yeah. And, um, Change policies. Yeah, so I went, mm -hmm. so I did that. But you know what? I don't know, man. Like, I wasn't myself on that. And I was still lying, and I was still, like, taking the bus downtown and getting benzos, like uh, Xanax and shit like mm -hmm. that, and Valium and stuff, and popping those with it, and getting all fucked up. And then one, one day, uh, I didn't realize how fucked up I was. They did, I didn't. I didn't think... All of a sudden, the cop shows up, and I'm like, oh, cops are here for someone. And they were there for me. I'm like, why Why are you taking me? And and then after, they're like, you're just so fucked up. Yeah. I didn't even realize I was so fucked up. Yeah. So I got sent back, and then they gave me another chance. I ended up gratituding there, but not honestly. Mm -hmm. You know? Um, then after that, I, I got a job here, and I couldn't... There was no time I had that job lost. And... Uh, I was using shit again, and I came back and uh, like, yeah, we're gonna drug test you. They drug tested me, and um, I was like, fuck this. I was like, I don't want to go back to jail yet. At that time, I had bought a car. Mm -hmm. I jumped in that car. I went down, took all the money out of my account, and headed to Vancouver. Mm -hmm. It was in the winter, and Driving out there in this little fucking Dodge car, um, it was quite the journey. I, and I made it there the next morning because I knew I'd get some cheap heroin out there. Mm -hmm. But when I got there, everybody's like, oh, fentanyl, fentanyl. Oh, there wasn't a lot of heroin around. So I get this fentanyl, but he's like, your first, like, have you done a lot of fentanyl? I was like, no. He's like, you better go into safe injection site. Mm -hmm. Fuck, I went in there, and sure enough, I went down. Mm -hmm. You know, it dropped me. And... Uh, and then they Narcan me and whatever. And uh, so I was down there for about a week, fucked around on East Hastings. And uh, I parked my car down there and I couldn't find it no more. Hmm. I lost it. I didn't know where I parked it. And, uh, and then eventually we were going around parking lots looking. And the cops thought we were trying to steal a car or something. Yeah. And there was a warrant, Canada wide warrant out this time for me. Mm. So the yeah he picked me up and oh because uh, you were UAL right yeah yeah picked me up and then of course I'm in Vancouver remand right and yeah <laughs> you know it's just so fucked up man my it's just in and out of jail and just institutions it was just so fucked up so I got sent back and um, I was doing time actually in BC. A place called Matsqui. 
And in BC, they're a lot more easier to get you on shit there, mm -hmm. like Suboxone and that. So I got back on Suboxone. I remember being in jail, um, there was this, this one gang in there that were giving me money for my oxys. So I was cheeking them. Mm -hmm. I was on the highest dose, but I only needed so many milligrams, but I was uh, just selling them the rest. And yeah, I did that for a while, and then uh, I ended up getting paroled out of there again. I don't know how in the fuck I got paroled again. Um, and then I went out and stayed with my mom for a while, and then I was out there doing drugs, and went on the run again. And then I got picked up in Calgary and sent back again. And when I got sent back again, I managed to get on Suboxone again in there, and... I was selling it in there again, and I had bought a bunch of morphine. And I would stop taking my Suboxone, and I bought a bunch of morphine. And uh, I had it in my cell, and then I ended up, ended up raiding my cell. I got busted, and mm. um, I ended up getting sent to the Edmonton Max. Now, that's no place you want to fucking go. I was up there in the Max. It sounds dark, man. Edmonton Max just sounds dark. Oh man, it was it was horrible. <laughs> I was up there and uh, you know, like you're fucking locked down pretty much twenty four well, twenty three and a half hours a day. Mm. And they feed you through the door and it's just fucking gross. Yeah. And uh luckily I only had a couple months there and then I was out on my stat release. So he stat released me to Calgary. I had nowhere to go. And because it was like on your stats, like full parole, right? Mm. And she's like, well, she's like, you got to stay at the DI. My parole officer said, sorry, I'm staying at the DI. I'm like fucking hating life. And, you know, I'm back on. When I get out, I'm like right into the fentanyl. Mm. And um, the safe injection site was here. Mm-hmm. And I had OD'd and ended up in the ambulance and brought back. I'm like, fuck, this shit's so dangerous. So I kept using the safe injection site mm. for the whole summer, man. And she had come to me and said, Darren, we need to have a conversation with you, the nurse. And we went and sat down. She's like, can you try and cut it down a bit? Because you are overdosing two, three times a week here. Mm. Like, it's a lot. That's a lot, man. Yeah. I was down a lot, man. Mm. One time uh, they had a... Uh, when I went in, they had a nice big chair with wheels for me because the normal one, I went down one day and I got caught in between the counter and the chair and they couldn't get me out. Mm -hmm. They narcan me. Yeah. They were having trouble and they oh, panicked. Shit. Yeah. So they like they had this chair with wheels for when I'd come in. Mm -hmm. And uh, so they can just roll me out if I went down. And uh, yeah, man, it was like that for the whole summer. Jesus, man. And then I went into... Uh, Renfrew, leave. In Renfrew again, leave. Mm -hmm. And then I ended up, uh, I don't know what I did there, but I, I don't know if I made the guard feel threatened or something like that. But anyways, to get back in, I had to talk to the manager mm -hmm. and get approval. So at the time, I was calling Bruce from, from Fresh Start, and I was like, please, man, please give me a bed. I was like, I'm going to fucking die. I know, I was like, this is going to kill me. And he's like, Darren, I, I want to, but I don't have nothing right now. You know, it's full. There's a wait list. He's like, can you at least get on the wait list? 
you know, when you're on the street losing, you're just, you know, mm-hmm. it's hard to keep up on that shit. Mm-hmm. But I used to go up there and visit a couple times and, you know, um, show them, just, I don't know, just go up there and talk to them. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember it was like, I think it was like March or something like that. I had, I was downtown and I was like, I scored some fentanyl, and Buddy had meth there, too. And he's like, oh, I'll just shoot the meth with it. He's like, you won't go down. And I, I wasn't really into the meth that much. I didn't really like that fucking sketchy feeling. And uh, so anyways, I did it. And I was so fucking high, I was walking around for two days downtown. And I didn't realize it, but my feet were getting bad mm-hmm. from walking so much. Yeah. And I ended up getting infected feet. Oh, shitty. Yeah, and I almost mm-hmm. lost my feet. So they mm-hmm. rushed me in and put me on. Uh, like when I came down, I was like, oh, my feet is so fucked up. You know? Mm-hmm. And they put me on. Uh, oh, you're so lucky, man. Yeah, they put me on at like a uh, um, IV uh, mm-hmm. antibiotics or something. Yeah. You know. Try to th- kill the infection. Kill it quick. Yeah. yeah. So I had nerve damage done to my feet after that. For a while there, man, I couldn't feel my toes and everything. Like, it's way better now. Mm-hmm. And my skin has turned a bit down on my feet, right? But, uh, yeah, I mean, my, you know, that was just some of the stuff happened in my life. I mean, I've been hit with baseball bats mm-hmm. and fucking uh, in some crazy situations, you know, where there was lots of guns out and fucking... Mm-hmm. Yeah, man, it's just it's just a crazy lifestyle. So yeah, that, it totally is, man. And when you talk about like that change that happens, right? That all of a sudden you're like, yeah, I guess I'll do another robbery. Like, yeah. Like some switch went off, and you're like, okay, I'm fine with it now. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's fucking not powerful man. shit, man. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I've I've never ever like if anybody ever asked me what was the hardest thing I went through in my life, it would be coming off opiates and being mm-hmm. dope sick and trying to trying to deal with that yeah so at this time uh i don't know man it was so messed up like the summer that i got into fresh start in 2018 in june finally my parole ended Mm -hmm. how i made it two or three months without getting sent back is beyond me Mm -hmm. i think she knew i was up to shit but i didn't get sent back Mm -hmm. finally my parole is over you know, I'm out there in the summertime, fucking overdosing every second day. You know, and then I was getting back into crime. I was stealing shit mm-hmm. and selling stuff and trying to support my habit. Not only that, you know, bugging, bugging my mom for money and mm-hmm. stuff, you know. Um, and, you know, like, fuck that. My mom, you know, she she actually was, was really, she wasn't well that summer. Mm-hmm. You know, and she was in a lot of pain and bad muscles and off work. And, you know, I felt like such a piece of shit. I felt like, fuck, man, there's nothing I can do for her. Mm. You know, here I am asking her for money. You know, I was starting to feel a lot of guilt and shame. And and not only that, it was on my mind that I was pushing 40 years old and I'm fucking living on the street. Mm. You know, staying at the mustard seed and the DI and... Um, 
you know, I just didn't know what to do with my life anymore. Um, I remember, though, the last time I went to detox, I had called the manager, and I had been talking to Bruce. And uh, a few times I flipped out on Bruce, but Bruce is so forgiving. He just knows that, hey, you know, it's just from pain, right? It's like, I know you're hurting. Eventually, he's like, listen, I promise if you go to detox now, he's like, I'll have a bed for you after. Mm -hmm. I was like, are you sure? Because I don't want to go in there and go through this sickness to know that I'm coming back to the street because that's not going to work. Mm -hmm. He's like, Darren, just go to detox. So finally, I got over to the manager. I was like, yeah, I was talking to Bruce. You know, he's got, he's going to have a bed for me after. Please let me in. And she's like, well, Bruce is on holidays. I don't believe you. Mm. But I had Bruce's cell phone. I didn't know he was on holidays either. Mm. Right? Yeah. <laughs> but he still picked up the phone. Mm -hmm. Like, I can't believe he still picked up the phone and talked to me. And he was off on holidays mm. in some other fucking country or something. Um, so eventually, um, I was like, I'm telling you the truth, man. And she ended up, uh, I ended up, Call them for a start and talk to them. They talked to Bruce. Anyway, it all got worked out and she let me in. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think it was like day four, I was in detox and I was horribly sick again. And I was almost out the door. I walked out and then I turned around and I'm like, I can't go out there. Mm -hmm. So I can't leave. And I went back. And I never ever done this before. And I knocked on the counselor's door, and I went in, and she's like, "Are you okay?" I was like, "No." And I dropped on the floor, man. And I fucking bawled for about twenty minutes. Mm. I was like, "I," I was like, "My life is a mess. And I don't know how to get off this shit." Mm. I was like, "I'm really like fucked up." And um, you know, like. I remember I was like I was groaning and moans were coming out of me. I was just so broken, man. It's like a wounded animal, man, just fucking laying on the floor. Couldn't even sit up. And uh, she was like just really trying to comfort me and mm. and and just talk me through this stage I was at there. Um, you know, and eventually, uh, you know, I went back back into the room. And um, I waited and waited. And Bruce had made a deal with me that I can come in, but I'm not to be on Suboxone or nothing. Because mm -hmm. he said we tried that last time, it didn't work. Mm -hmm. So I couldn't take nothing. This was just cold turkey, man. So day seven rolls around. Okay, you can go to Fresh Start. Mm -hmm. I get up to Fresh Start, and they're doing the intake. I remember Nicole was doing my intake. And I was just fucking puking my guts mm -hmm. up. Just dope sick. And then Jen came in. She's like, we need to send you back to detox. You're not well. And I was like, please don't. I was like, just give me a few days up in the room. You'll all come around. Anyways, they let me stay there, man. I didn't start the program until six weeks after. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I was too sick. Yeah. I just, you know, they had me. Tr I remember uh, Billy was my counselor, and he would come up. And try to encourage me to get down and start moving a bit. Mm. You know, it was hard. And, but I would try, and I would go down to the kitchen and try to volunteer a little bit. It was, fuck, it was so hard, man. 
it was so hard to try to get get moving again, you mm -hmm. know. Um, so eventually, I started to come around a little bit every day, and uh, they had this. Uh, Mike Miles was doing this um, Muay Thai three times a week there, mm -hmm. mostly for like fitness, you know. Yeah. But it, and a little bit of fun, a little bit of boxing stuff in. So when I went down, I couldn't participate in that. And he's like, you know what? He's like, just move your body and walk around the gym. That's all I'm asking. So I, I would just walk. Mm -hmm. You know, I did that for a few weeks, and after a while, I started uh, participating, and mm -hmm. I started to get healthy. And I started to get engaged in the program, and I wanted it this time. Mm -hmm. I wanted to fucking learn. You know, I went to meetings. I fucking paid attention. When I was off, I reached out. You know, when I was all fucked up in the head, I reached out. And, um, you know, eventually I started to get healthier and healthier. And uh, after I was there, I think it was five months or six months I was in Fresh Start or something like that. The program was four months, but I was there a while before I started. Mm -hmm. And I uh, started a pro or I, I gratituded the program, and I gratituded it honestly and fucking sober. Mm -hmm. I didn't take nothing, you know? I didn't fuck around at all this time. Mm -hmm. Right on. And uh, it was a good feeling, man. I, you know, like I, I grew up playing drums, you know? I'm a drummer, and... Uh, had a little kit there that I always fucked around when I got back into it. And uh, I'm still like doing that too. But right um, so I got back, I, I got gratituded, mm -hmm. and then I went to second stage housing. And I got a job uh, with a company I'm still working for. And I went to work for him. I got, I think, a gratitude in March or something, in uh, mm -hmm. March. I went to work for him, worked for him all summer. And um, in, in January, I had enough money to fly home to see my grandma. So I flew to, flew to Newfoundland and spent her 82nd birthday, I think, with her. Mm. Something like that. No, you know, probably her, yeah, doesn't matter, somewhere out there. And um, then I came back and I talked to my boss here. It was a little slow. I was like, do you mind if I go up north and work for the winters and work for you in the summer? He's like, okay. He's like, I'd rather you stay on year round. I was like, yeah, but it's slow. He's like, I understand. So I did that. I'd go up there in the winter, work for him in the summer. Did that for a couple of years. The COVID's come on there. Mm -hmm. And uh, my last winter up there, I was like, fuck, do I ever hate it up here now? <laughs> you know, they took away the gym and all mm -hmm. this shit, right? So when I, I ended up getting COVID up there, and uh, when I got home out of it, I was like, fuck, I was like, my recovery's gone to shit. Mm. You know, I wasn't doing no meetings, I wasn't into meditating or none of that shit, and I was like, fuck, do I ever feel miserable? Mm. So being honest with myself, do I like it up north working 12 hours a fucking day in 50 below weather in the winter? Uh, and night shifts and all this shit. And I was like, you know what? I fucking don't want to do this no more. Mm -hmm. You know, I had uh, asked my boss here, I was like, if you give me like a raise to stay on year round, like what would, we, 
well, how much would you pay me? And we worked it out, man, and it's been great. Right on. Yeah, man, like, actually this year, it was the first year since I got clean that I'm going to make six figures. Oh, right on. Congrats, man. Yeah, man, I never, like, and being home every night, mm -hmm. you know, well, I work a lot of hours sometimes. Yeah. But he had fucking, he gave me a nice wage, man, and he really likes me, and, like, mm -hmm. I have a fucking great relationship with my boss. That makes a huge difference. Bro. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, anytime I want, hey, I need time off for this, or can you be off early for this, it's done, because every time he asks me to go above and beyond, mm -hmm. I'm there, mm -hmm. you know? Right on. Yeah, and I have, you know, great benefits there. Yeah. And over this last, like, I just took four years clean. Oh, congrats, On the man. 15th. Right on. You know, four years, no methanol, no suboxone, nothing, totally mm -hmm. fucking clean. And I worked my ass off. And I know for year one and year two, I did struggle emotionally. Mm -hmm. it, because I didn't, I didn't know how to deal with feelings. That's the whole fucking point I was using dope anyway. For sure. You know? So uh, I had, uh, I was dating a psychologist in Lethbridge. And she had said to me, uh, I think you have trauma. Because she, you know, I, I got very vulnerable with her about mm -hmm. Um, some of my childhood stuff. She's like, I think you have trauma. That, and I know a person, and she didn't know the person personally, but she knew, she's like, I heard a lot of good things about this therapist. She's like, she's brilliant with, uh, you know, she's not, a, she's not a person that prescribes meds, mm -hmm. and she hates labels. But she's really, like, understands childhood trauma and stuff like that. So, unfortunately, it didn't work out between me and her down there, which is okay. Mm -hmm. um, long distance relationships probably never do work out that good. <laughs> they can be pretty tricky. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, um, so I started seeing, uh, and you know what? I feel like she's God sent. Mm -hmm. Because although I did the step work, I'm pretty stubborn myself and like, I'm, I'm kind of like, I need to know why this is going to help me or what it does. I don't know why I'm like that, instead of just trusting the process. It's okay, man. You, you're skeptical <laughs> for a reason. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so, because, you know, like some people, you know, they go to step work or whatever, and you have mm -hmm. like a huge spiritual awakening or something. I felt like I gained some awareness, but I didn't get that, like, awakening or mm -hmm. whatever like I thought I should or whatever. And uh, what I had learned seeing her was when I had discussed, she was asking me how my childhood was. And I had told her, she's like, wow. She's like, you had some traumatic events happen. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, I didn't know they were traumatic. She's like, you're not because it's all you know. Yeah, they're normal to you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. She's like, but I'm telling you now, she's like, your nervous system is is unregulated. She's like you're kind of stuck in like um, what was the, that part of your brain, the amygdala or mm -hmm. something? Amygdala. Yeah, for um, like uh, your base instincts. Yeah, for like mm -hmm. your flight, fight, or fornicate. <laughs> yeah, response. You know, it's like it's like um, she's like when you're stuck in there, she's like you're going to be really reactive and irrational. Mm -hmm. And I was like that a lot, you know. Mm -hmm. I didn't, 
my emotions kind of projected onto people and had control of me sometimes. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know how to manage that. I wasn't good at managing that. And I know the big book, you know, it talks about character defects and stick, step six and seven and stuff mm -hmm. like that. But I was like, yeah, I have the defects, but how do I stop acting out on them? Or, mm -hmm. you know, what is it, you know, how do I stop these feelings from coming on to me like this? Or, like, why do I get them like this? Or why does this trigger me and stuff, right? And when I had uh, started working with her, you know, she had taught me a lot about... Um, when you're a kid and you experience certain things like what I experienced, because mm -hmm. my dad had trauma and a drinking problem, and he, I just seen him like you know be abusive to my mother physically. Mm -hmm. And when you're a five year old kid, four year old kid, that scares the shit out of you. It's incredible trauma, man. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And it wasn't just one time, mm -hmm. like you know. And so I grew, but that's all I seen. So that's all I knew. And I know my brother's older than me, and, and um, <coughs> pardon me, you know, he had lots of issues too, right? Mm. And uh, so I, but I understand them now because I hated them because we mm. fought so much, but we were both messed up. Yeah. You know, and not only that, like once she, she had taught me too, uh, my mom always said that she's like, you, she's like, when you're a baby, she's like, all you did was cry all the time. Mm. And, uh, She's like, you're a colleague or whatever. I don't even know what that means. But after talk, learning with Christine and, you know, and the research and the evidence he got now, like when, when the mother mm -hmm. is not well inside and has anxiety, mm -hmm. um, epigenetics or something is called. Like yeah, the baby. Pre prenatal stress can affect the children. Yeah, it affects yeah. the baby, right? Yep. And she believes that a lot of this comes from that. So mm -hmm. I know my, my mom was in a stressful uh, relationship when she was pregnant with me too, mm -hmm. right? So um, it, it just gave me answers that I wanted. Mm -hmm. You know, why did I grow up like this? Why did I always feel different? And not only that, she taught me about attachment issues and about how, like, children of that age internalize everything mm -hmm. and because they're not because you aren't raised I mean my mom loved me yes mm -hmm. but because of that experience and not being in a stable place of being soothed and and stuff like that you kind of grow up um, scared and untrustworthy mm -hmm. um, and reactionary yeah mm -hmm. and not only that you don't know your place you're kind of like, mm -hmm. you don't have a role model. Like I had some uncles and they were into drinking and smoking dope. So I wanted to fit in with them and, mm -hmm. you know, I couldn't handle pot. So I, I felt like weak. Mm. Yeah, it was just so fucked up, man, growing up like that. And, but it gave me answers, you know, mm -hmm. it gave me answers to where my anxiety came from. And, um, you know, the hatred I had towards my brother, this had allowed me to have a lot of compassion and understanding because I know that he has an unregulated nervous system too. Mm. You know? And he went through some hard shit like you did. Yeah. yeah. And you know how the big book talks about self-centeredness? Mm -hmm. You know, I came to a conclusion that what I think that stems from, you know, she explained to me in like a good healthy family unit when the child is raised and soothed and taught how to deal with emotions, mm -hmm. the frontal lobes of your brain grow up like that mm -hmm. and you mature. 
But when you're a kid with trauma and that doesn't mature and you're in a reactive state, even though the trauma is long past, mm -hmm. um, you know, you, you don't know how to handle shit. And you don't basically mature. Mm -hmm. It's really difficult. It's difficult. Mm -hmm. And so these reactive states, you know, it's, yeah, it, it is selfish and self-centered, mm -hmm. but... Babies are selfish and self-centered. Mm -hmm. It's all about them all the time. If you don't get out of that state, you're kind of an adult. Going well, the amygdala is all self, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's all about self-preservation. Yeah. So, like, it, it really, you know, I come to a conclusion. It's like a lot of people in recovery or struggle with addiction, you know, lots of them had trauma. I don't know mm -hmm. if you ever uh, listened to, uh, what's his name? I, I find it hard to pronounce his name, G Gabor Mate. Oh, or, yeah. Yeah, he's yeah. great, man. Yeah, mm -hmm. he fucking talks a lot about that, man, mm -hmm. you know, because why would you, because drugs gave me comfort, mm -hmm. you know, so I had to learn how to do that without, you know, yeah. I'm still learning, but she had got me to a point where uh, she explained to me if I do these practices and meditation and guided meditation and mindful practices and stuff like that, mm -hmm how it will heal me, bring that part of my brain back online. Mm -hmm. And I said, I'm fucking stubborn, so of course I'm like, why should I trust you? Mm -hmm. Fair enough, man. You know, like, you know, like I've been listening to doctors my whole fucking life that never went through what I went through. Mm -hmm. She's like, well, I've been sexually assaulted and raped and mm -hmm. abused. And I was like, oh, I'm sorry, okay. And she's like, this helped me. Mm -hmm. She's like, She's, she's like, there's nothing you can say to me that I haven't heard before or it's going to fuck me up or I'm going to judge you for. Mm -hmm. you know? well, and that's someone who's obviously worked through some healing in her own life, right? Oh, yeah. totally, yeah. To be able to turn that and then help yeah. others. Is yeah, she had told me some of, some of the things she went through mm -hmm. and uh, I was like, wow. You know? Mm -hmm. But anyways, like when I had start seeing this therapist and telling her about some of my experiences in my childhood and it would bring up these emotions and this pain and this really severe fucking feelings and she would just work, help walk me through it mm -hmm. to a point where she would actually bring, help me get to a place of relief from it. Mm -hmm. So doing that over and over I find now that I've had some healing, mm -hmm. and that even though I still get triggered with certain things, she has taught me now to go inside mm -hmm. instead of trying to find everything outside. To, mm -hmm. She's like, go inside, pay attention, and do some of these techniques. So I like I do a lot of breathing techniques, and I pay attention. Mm -hmm. And the more I practice this, man, the more like even fucking going going through the meeting this morning, mm -hmm. I was going to be late. Yeah. As soon as my nervous system starts to go into a reactive state, I was like, mm -hmm. okay, why am I getting upset over this? Mm -hmm. Who cares if I'm a little bit late? The world's still going to turn. I'm still going to go to bed tonight and wake mm -hmm. up tomorrow. You know, I don't need. So I was able to like just calm it right away. Mm -hmm. You know, where I practice that all the time, even at work when issues arise. Uh, if it's in my control, I can deal with it. But if it's not, I'm like, hey, man, I did my best. And, uh, that's all you can do. Yeah. Right it's on. much easier to function through life. And I know how the big book talks about you'll be um, 
you know, you intuitively know how to, how to handle things that used to baffle you. Mm-hmm. You know, I feel like I'm, I'm gaining some growth in that area where, you know, even rejection, like dating sometimes mm-hmm. you know, and, and not working out, you internalize that mm-hmm. because of the abandonment you felt as a kid. It triggers all that. Mm-hmm. But if you don't have the awareness around that, man, you're like down on yourself and you're like, because Acting you're... Acting out in all kinds yeah, of ways. Yeah, because you're yep. still internalizing mm-hmm. shit that you internalized as a kid that you'd lack the awareness around. Mm-hmm. So that's why I'm so grateful I started seeing her because she gave, helped me gain awareness around that. That You know what? If, if I'm a good person and a kind person and I'm doing my best and somebody don't want to be with me, that's all I can do. Mm-hmm. And it's not about me. Not at all. You know, and I have to realize, too, I don't like everybody. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. you know what I mean? <laughs> I don't, I try no, not. I have no idea what you mean. I, like... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I try not to let myself, my heart go to a place of hatred because I yeah. know that's not good for me. That's, yeah, that's a But dangerous. it's okay, like, I'm like, oh, I don't like this guy's behavior, and mm-hmm. that's fine. But yeah. that's where, where he's at in life. Mm-hmm. Because I, I would go to meetings and be like, fuck, I hate this guy. And I talked to my sponsor, but he's like, yeah, but Darren, but that's where he's at right now. Mm-hmm. And he has to go through his shit. Mm-hmm. You know, and being honest about your feelings and about how you're feeling about people and stuff like that, it really, really, it's good because I find it helps give you clarity and thought on how someone else or whatever they're going through, and they could be going mm-hmm. through something. And it's it's yeah. It's and you never nice. know someone's story. Exactly, and and it's always nice to be able to have empathy for our fellows, right? Yeah, something that we may not have had any of. Out yes, there, totally. Right? Like yeah, to be able to hear someone say, "Well, just imagine what they might be going through." Yeah, that's enough for me, right? To for my yes. ego to go, "Oh yeah, that's yes. right, that's right." Yeah, the ego is a hard thing to manage sometimes. Yeah, sure is. Yeah, uh, but I like I, even in like my first two years when. A couple of the guys were, they'd be like, you know, when I, some people I would talk to, well, you're sponsoring anybody? And I'd be like, you know what? No, because you know why I don't? Because I'm so fucking pissed off myself. I'm like, how in the fuck am I going to help this guy? Mm. And I had trouble with that. But now I'm confident that I can sponsor people and I always put my hand up because I think I'm at the place now where I'm, I'm, I'm confident and I, and I, think I can help them understand the steps mm-hmm. uh, and help them understand a little bit about trauma and where a lot of this might be coming from, mm-hmm. you know. But the first couple of years, I wasn't confident doing it. Yeah. You know. Right on. I mean, the best that you can do is just provide your experience, right? Yes, you know. Mm-hmm. But I'm always willing to, like, I always try to be kind to people and, uh, you know, even fucking people on the street like I, I you know Christ always says don't uh, advertise your good deeds and stuff so mm-hmm. I don't want to like be putting it on Facebook mm-hmm. <laughs> but you know I, I try you. to be kind to people mm-hmm. right and uh, like I have moved past fresh start now I'm on my own and stuff and uh, I've got a I sometimes I I live not too far from the mustard seed okay so I get to go there and volunteer sometimes Right on. And I really enjoy it because I used to live there mm-hmm. and some of the people recognize me. That's amazing, man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like one guy, he's, he's a bad crackhead. He's like, man, he's like, I knew you were going to make it. He's like, I used to see you so sad about how you wanted to change your life. He's like, good to see you're giving back. Mm-hmm. You know? And then there's lots of people who are like, are you a wrestler? 
<laughs> <You know? laughs> right on. Yeah, no, it's cool. I have fun down there, man. Yeah. And, uh, you know, because I like the homeless because I was there. Mm-hmm. You know, and I have a lot of compassion for them because I know a lot of them have trauma. Mm-hmm. You know? Oh, yeah. I don't so, know what the percentage is, but it's probably high. Yeah, I'd rather fucking hang out with with people down there than, you know, than the people that are in high areas that mm-hmm. think they're above. Because I know one thing I, I, I had to grasp was no matter if I like someone or not, myself or my worth is no better than theirs. Like, mm-hmm. uh, we're all equal. And I, hear, I used mm-hmm. to always hear uh, Stacy Pe- Peterson talk about this. He's like, you know what? And he was the executive director of Fresh Start. Mm-hmm. He'd always come in and say, you know what, we're all equal here. There's no up here or down here. Mm-hmm. He's like, because of titles. Because at the end of the day, we're all equal. We all get up and put our pants on the same it's very way. true. You know? mm-hmm. And that, that really, uh, and you know, like, I know recovery. I've had some issues with friends that I had to work through and, and just get off my ego and be like, hey, man, I'm sorry. You know, we... You know, a good friend uh, of mine, we got into arguments over COVID because, um, you know, a lot of people were getting into it over bullshit about that, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, But, we, you know, I had to understand his point of view and he understood mine and we just kind of, now we're buddies again. Mm. You know, it's just, amazing, uh, yeah. You know, and it's all because of the principles of the program mm-hmm. and knowing that, you know what? This is hurting me and more than anybody if I'm going around fucking being resentful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it doesn't hurt anyone else, that's for sure. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm grateful, man. Like, we had uh, <coughs> our four-year, uh, well, a fresh start every month. You have birthdays. Yeah. And uh, You just had yours. I just actually saw that. I just remembered as you said it. Yeah. So, and, you know, it was so good that my mom, like, my mom's way healthier now. Yeah. And she came out and... Oh, cool, man. Yeah, she was beaming with pride, right? I bet she was. Yeah. Right on. Yeah, it makes me fucking tear up talking to her, man, because I put her through a lot, man. Mm. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's a wonderful thing, man, and I love to... Uh, I actually had people from Newfoundland that I know from back home actually reaching out to me like, hey, mm. man, like, what do I do? I'm struggling with this yeah. and that with the crack, right? And I was like, you know, I'm trying to tell them, like, dude, this is... I'm like, you need help, man. Mm. You need to get some help. Yeah, but I can't because, like, you know, i got to pay my mortgage. And I was like, hey, man, well, it's like this. If you don't get help, you're going to lose it anyway. Mm-hmm. It never gets better. Yeah, it's all gone, man. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, I mean, that's my story, man. The gist of it, the most of it. Mm-hmm. You know, 20 years of fucking around. I had four years kind of off dope, but I was drinking lots and uh, mm-hmm. I didn't do any work. Yeah. Now it's totally different for me. Oh, it's in a different world, right? Yeah. yeah. And the spiritual part, like I meditate daily, every mm-hmm. single fucking day. And the first two years I didn't do that. But if you look at all these step works and, and, and look at kind of, like I kind of gauge it by how my therapy and, and it kind of fits together. Mm-hmm. The only thing is the book was written 100 years ago, so it doesn't have the scientific, it doesn't talk about the scientific things that it does, Mm -hmm. but meditation actually heals you. Oh yeah, absolutely. It helps regulate that nervous system. It does, Mm -hmm. and it gets better the more you do it over time. Yeah. So I'm, and when I speak in meetings, I encourage people, like, don't do what I did the first two years Mm -hmm. of me, 
egotistic and say, just don't do nothing for me. Because yeah. I said the same thing until I humbled myself and managed to start doing it. I was like, if you don't know how to meditate, use guided meditation. They'll mm -hmm. teach you. you know, just listen to them and do what they say. Yeah, it's really not that daunting. It's not difficult. Yeah. Once, you, once you agree to do it, it's fine. Yeah, and it's like people like, well, I didn't find it calm me. I was like, it's not about calming you. It's mm -hmm. about paying attention mm -hmm. to your emotions and being okay with them and not judging them. Mm -hmm. The more you accept them and not judge them, judge them, they fuck off easier. Oh, for sure. There's yeah. What we resist persists, right? Yeah, man. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's very interesting. It is. Darren, thank you so much, man.